if we wanted to start a conversation on race relations, but we started with slaves obey your masters. Right. Right. It's like, that's a bad starting point. Everybody knows, like, wait a minute, something's amiss here. Right. 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 Why do we go to slaves obey your masters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you want to start a conversation about women flourishing with, I suffer a woman not to teach or have authority over man, I think we should hear that with the same kind of resonance that we would hear a conversation on race that starts with slaves obey your masters. That's good. There's something about power in that. There's Mm -hmm. something about privilege in that. There's something about... um, constriction in that that is unhealthy and not the whole counsel of God. I think the most valuable piece of real estate inside of a shopping mall is that sign that says you are here. See, I'm that kind of shopper that I just want to go get what I want to get and leave as quickly as I can. I don't really want to wander around the mall. That that seems like purgatory to me. So I love that sign that says you are here. It identifies your beginning place and then it begins to point to your destination. And here's the thing. We, we can't get to our destination unless we know where we're starting. And when it comes to the role of women in a local church, we need a sign that says you are here that's pointing in a big red arrow to lament. That's where we need to start with deep contrition and repentance. So much has been done in the name of being biblical to hurt women that that many women rightly shrink back from even portions of the Bible itself. They have a, well, a, a right suspicion that the Bible in the hands of many men is used to hurt them, to constrain them, to limit them, to push them back rather than to build them up. And they're not wrong about that in some cases and places. But the Bible itself has a different vision. It has a vast and wonderful vision of women and of their work in the local church. If we begin at the right places with the correct correct theological framework, we're going to give ourselves a chance to make real progress towards something beautiful. This is the last of our conversations with our brother, Reverend Duke Kwan, senior minister at Grace Meridian Hill here in Washington, D.C. And in this discussion, uh, we are trying to work our way through one of the church's thorniest issues, and to work our way toward some practical applications, but we want to begin in the right place. We are here lamenting. Duke, brother, thanks for continuing to chop with me, man. Yeah, thanks Uh, for having me. it's, It's just in these conversations, I'm reminded of what a privilege and joy I feel to be laboring in this part of the Lord's vineyard with you, to be in the same city trying to to do the same kinds of gospel things, man. The, the Creek Collective, one of the things that we are praying for and laboring for and trying to think through is how to encourage within the collective, within its churches and churches we plant, local church cultures that are primed for the flourishing of women. Yeah. I think there's there's a good reckoning happening in the life of churches where some things that have been claimed as biblical 
are actually being seen as cultural and political. Uh, and some of those things are being appropriately sort of scaled off, pulled off. Right. And I think there's good energy in in support of, again, just the, the flourishing of women, the, the meaningful playing of roles, gospel roles for women in the life of the church. And I know these are the kinds of things that you think about. And so I'm, I'm interested on the ground to sort of know more about your practice in the city, what, what you're doing inside the church, what you're doing in conversation with the community, what kinds of issues arise out of this question. How do we live and labor and love and learn in such a way that our sisters in Christ flourish as much as Christ would have them in all the ways that Christ would have them flourish? Right. This is such an important issue and one that has always been on our heart, but has grown on our hearts. And and, and not just because of social movements like the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. and even presently in at least the evangelical ecclesial world, where uh, sort of we're back into talking about it, Mm -hmm. uh, gender roles and, and all the rest. So not just because of that backdrop, but because we've been really trying to press into understanding better what does it look like to activate the fullness of the body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about kind of what that looks like in the racial dimension of things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So the the arm and the hand and the foot and the eye and the, the kneecap and what, <laughs> all the different parts of the body that we need uh, to be uh, fully serving, loving, living, and well-served it would be dishonest and unbiblical for us to not give appropriate attention to what that looks like for in regards to the the gender divide and in regards mm. to esteeming and loving our sisters when they constitute not just half the body of Christ, well more than half, That's right. right? Because they have been so essential to the flourishing of our church and personally into our church. And I say this out loud as often as I can, we would have no church apart from the faithful sisters that we have in our midst. That's right. uh, they have been some of the most strategic, key, faithful, sacrificial, behind the scenes and upfront leaders that we've had. So we we have to wrestle through this topic and, and figure it out. Amen, amen, amen. So what what where do you guys start? As a, as a local church, as a collection of churches, the Grace Family, the network of churches, um, where do you guys start in terms of beginning to work it out, to figure it out? Yeah, well, we're Presbyterian, so it always has to start with <laughs> figuring out our convictions and how we articulate <laughs> this, right? Um, I mean, we've worked through this a lot, and especially at Grace Meridian Hill, my congregation, we have tried to figure out the right way. Again, it's not just about what's on paper. It's the theological logic that we want to form people by in how they think about this. So what I mean by that, for example, is that our starting point is the presumption and the conviction that we need our sisters Amen. in our midst to flourish to to the max. That's right. Um, not just playing it safe around different ways that we define biblical limitations around office and that sort of thing. And we'll get to that in a second. But our starting point is the assumption that God made us as co-equals in the image of God. And so if we don't find a way to express the fullness of male and female in our midst, we're getting less of God. Mm. Mm. (laughs) So this isn't a political enterprise. This isn't just about getting it right. So we're not making mistakes, which is this terrible defensive posture, I think, that too many conservative churches fall into, 
playing defense all the time and you wonder why you're losing, but how do we actually see this as an issue that is important because it's about the radiance of the glory of Christ being appropriately and maximally expressed in the life of the community. So that being the starting point, not what do you believe about 1 Timothy 2, 12, you know, 11, 12, right? That, that can't be our starting point because that immediately frames the discussion around disagreement, debate, and defense, That's right? That's <laughs> right? right? So in the way that we articulate it, in the way that we preach on it and teach on it and, and that sort of thing, that's always what we want to lead with and what we want to emphasize. That doesn't mean we haven't preached on those sure. other topics, sure. of course. Um, but that also means that when we do get to the question of uh, limitations of office by gender, we want to handle that not combatively, but mm -hmm. charitably. Mm -hmm. We want to be realistic about the degree to which Scripture is clear about these things. And so I use the language that we we do believe that the Bible is sufficiently clear. It, I don't think it's a slam dunk case. It's not like eye-rolling obvious, like, mm -hmm. come on, people. It, I think it's sufficiently clear that God has determined according to his sovereign wisdom mm -hmm. that the office of elder is to be filled by men only, an office that I believe is a dad-like leadership role, and therefore there are aspects of a gendered expression of leadership that's appropriate to that office. Mm -hmm. But even when we communicate that, we're very clear to quickly follow, uh, follow up with uh, statements like, but that's a, a narrow restriction that we believe is one of the few, if not only in the Bible in regards to gender-based restrictions. And in every other way, we need to promote the flourishing and the public leadership of women in the life of this church if we're to be a faithful local body. I, I like the way you're framing it in starting with sort of broader, always true uh, sort of normative theological categories, like yeah. we, we both made in the image of God, right. equal, et cetera. Uh, I think here of uh, Barnwell, Michelle Lee Barnwell, uh, neither egalitarian nor complementarian. You know that word? Um, which I highly commend because yeah. she steps back and says, okay, okay if you enter this conversation uh, via the household codes or you enter this yeah. conversation yeah. via the pastoral epistles and the yeah. restrictions, you inevitably are going to have a distorted conversation. And I think she's right. I think she I think she successfully accomplishes what she set out to do, which is just sort of say, let me set this into some some broader theological context and some broader historical context for reconsidering. So that I'm not trying to work out all the applications, all the final sort of landing spots, but to say, hey, if we reframe this, we could have a fruitful opportunity. And the reason I think that's compelling is just by way of analogy, if we wanted to start a conversation on race relations, but we started with slaves obey your masters. Right. Right. It's like, that's a bad starting point. Everybody right. knows, like, wait a minute, something's amiss here. Right. Right. Why do we go to slaves obey your masters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you want to start a conversation about women flourishing with, Good. I suffer a woman not to teach or you have authority over man, I think we should hear that with the same kind of resonance that we would hear a conversation on race that starts with slaves obey your masters. That's good. There's something about power in that. There's mm -hmm. something about privilege in that. There's something about um, constriction right. in that that is unhealthy and not the whole counsel of God. And so what you're doing is saying, hey, as a first step, we want to step back and get these sort of broader theological things in view, bring them to bear. Uh, I, I think that's necessary to flourishing. I think that's that's critical to flourishing.
No, I totally, I, I, I totally agree. And I feel like, I mean, one analogy that I've used is to use a football analogy that what I feel like folks in our tradition have done is out of the fear of stepping out of bounds. Mm-hmm. So immediately, to your point, the whole conversation is uh, dictated by fears. Yep. And then already you're in trouble. That's right. right? That's right. So out of fear of not stepping out of bounds, you run all the plays only in the middle. And, and what, what I feel like we're called to do, not just what I feel, what I think Scripture calls us to do, is to run plays across the whole field. Mm. Use the whole field all the way out to the, to the edges, meaning draw clear boundaries according to Scripture, but play the game. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what we're doing is we have so narrowed the field of play of what is acceptable in the life of the church that we're not only dictated more by the fear of stepping out of bounds, but now we have actually disenfranchised players, people, and we're wondering why the scoreboard is looking so bad, you know, right? right? Um, We need to, again, flip our orientation towards these questions Mm -hmm. and make it our deepest, most earnest plea and uh, longing to find new, fresh, prophetic, powerful, biblical ways for women to fill every imaginable kind of service role, leadership role, uh, public, private, and all the rest. And uh, and again, assuming that that is crucial to the flourishing of the body of Christ. Yeah, I love the way Jen Wilkin puts it. She says, it's, it's, it, what we're talking about here is not that it's nice that women get to do That's right. various things. That's right. But that is necessary. Right. Right. To right. the to the functioning of the church and the fulfillment of the church's mission. That's right. So there's something there too about sort of coming to regard our sisters as necessary. Right. Not niceties, not little appendages that are um sometimes welcomed in these sort of small ways, uh, but seeing them as full fledged companions in the gospel, partners in the gospel, co-laborers right. in that way. That's right. And I do think it's important for us to pretty quickly also acknowledge the ways in which these things have been abused yeah. and the ways in which so many of our sister carry wounds and so many of our brothers on behalf of our sisters carry mm-hmm. wounds related to this, that I think we need to be addressing this with a repentant posture. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm never having conversations about these issues in public and especially with women in our church without expressing some note of repentance about the way the church has handled this wrong, the way that they personally are probably coming from or maybe coming from some background where this has been handled. I think there's that reparative work that has to happen there. This isn't a matter of reconciliation Mm. with our sisters, Mm. not just instruction. And unless we grapple with that, we're, we're just trying to teach wounded people into righteousness or whatever we want to call it. And we're wondering why it don't work, right? So so I think we need to be priests and not just prophets when it comes mm. to working through these things. And especially for us dudes to learn how to weep with our sisters. Mm. Because it, it's easy for us to say, well, it's just the office of elder or pastor. It, you know, it's just one thing. Everything else is there for you. Well, uh, we know in the church and in society, authority matters. Mm-hmm. That's right. These offices do matter. So it's not nothing. That's right. And we shouldn't downplay that That's either. Right. That's so good. That would be patronizing. That would also be dishonest. 
Because if that weren't so, we wouldn't be, we, I mean, largely, writ large, uh, would not be protecting this, <laughs> mm-hmm. right, this biblical view so vehemently, right? Mm-hmm. Authority does matter. Offices do matter. This question does matter. And so we really need to not dismiss it, but rather walk patiently and with a whole lot of care and compassion for our sisters. One of the things we need to acknowledge when it comes to our sisters in the church is that their place and role and ministry is not nice, it's necessary. Women are necessary to the church's gospel ministry and to the church's witness in the world. When Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he doesn't just give it to the men. He gives it to the whole church. So the work of making disciples, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, as we go out into the world, that work belongs to the whole church, male and female, young and old. To be sure, God also has defined what roles qualified men and women can play. And so we have to come to those texts too. But we need to begin with um, yeah, the inclusion of our sisters, the joyful inclusion of our sisters, and the repentant recognition that they are necessary to all that God has called us to do in the world. That's been true since Adam and Eve in the garden. It's true now in his church, and it's for his church to figure out how to live into that truth. Duke and I sort of pull on that a little bit by discussing what they have in their church called shepherdesses, that role, and what those women do to foster the work of the gospel in their congregation. I wonder if we can push this down even further into your local context. So Grace Meridian Hill is serving these four neighborhoods in Washington, D.C., Petworth, uh, remind me, give me the Columbia Heights, Columbia. Adams, Morgan, Mount Pleasant. In Mount Pleasant. Yeah. Um, and so you're serving and caring for and shepherding women from those four neighborhoods who are Asian American, African American, White American, Hispanic American, et cetera. Pastorally, what are you hearing from women in your neighborhood, women in your chair, in your care? What are you hearing from them? How are they doing? How are sisters doing in DC? How are sisters doing in your neighborhood? What kinds of things are kind of pressing upon their souls. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting doing ministry in the midst of the rise of the Me Too era. So that was certainly a pastoral sort of concern and priority that rose up in the middle of all of that. You know, on the one hand, not just capitulating to the way that the culture might be talking about things, but also gleaning wisdom from what people are seeing, mm-hmm. whether by believers or not, just look. There are things to fix here and to walk with our sisters on that. So, you know, hearing them express their desire to have more conversations, to, to address certain issues, you know, for them to come to us rightly and say, are there protections put in place around ensuring that the male office holders in our church don't abuse their 
authority, spiritually, sexually, and otherwise, right? And so actually we then began working on creating a policy around that, um, not only in terms of articulating what our standards are, but also creating an appropriate process by which victims of abuse could actually uh, find ways for things to be addressed, right? And that was, you know, speaking of centering, that was its own fascinating, instructive process of seeing how instinctively we will center our fellow brethren elders and not actually center alleged victims and care for them in the way that they deserve to be cared uh, for. And so during that time, and even to this day, I think there's a lot of concern around our sisters uh, wanting to see the church do better around that and address those things. Uh, but even in the basic issue of access to office and leadership, there are a lot of sisters that will raise that as a matter of equity and mm-hmm. a matter of of deep concern. Some of our sisters have voted with their feet and said, I'm sorry, in good conscience, I can't be at this church. Uh, we We probably, I could be wrong about this, just a guess, but we probably lose people who are prospective members who choose not to be a part of our community on this issue um, more than any other issue, which is why it needs to be taken seriously. But there are also plenty of sisters who feel like God is still calling them to be in our midst and who want to be a part of the, let's call it a rebuilding process, a rebuilding of the vision of the body of Christ around something that has more of a semblance of equity and shared power and of a genuine mutuality, even with some restriction in place, mm-hmm. but in a way that uh, is vibrant enough that that restriction is not at the center of who we are as gendered people. Mm-hmm. It's not unimportant, but it's not the only thing, and it's not the most important thing. And so whether if that's in us forming this role of the shepherdess, or if it's in promoting our sisters into all kinds of roles of servant leadership across the life of our church. Like I said, whether if it's our small group ministries or whether if it's our service ministries, our diaconate, all kinds of things, uh, we, we, we would be a limping church without our sisters. And we just needed to do a better job of corralling that energy and esteeming it more publicly. Amen. So talk with me a little bit about the shepherdess roles. Yeah. I, I noticed that on your website the other day. I thought, oh, I, I Duke, what's happening right here? <laughs> I need to understand this, right? Because when we when we first launched uh, Anacostia River Church seven years ago, the first ministry we decided we were going to have as elders, as as an eldership, would be to the older women of the congregation. Yeah. We, we think older women in our churches are the most neglected demographic in yeah, our church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet are sitting there with the most wisdom and lived experience and, and what have you. And we said, hey, we're going to meet every month with the older women of our church. We're going to pour into them um, sort of the three C's from the trellis and the vine, character, confidence, mm-hmm, and conviction. Mm-hmm. And we want to sort of unleash them to do the things that they ought to be doing in the life of the church, according to Titus 2 and right. and, and really the whole of the Bible right. as Christian disciples. Right. And that's been one of the most fruitful experiences for us as elders, our own shaping and growth, but also for the life of our church. And so when I saw, and that was one of the ways that we were trying to elevate sisters in the life of our congregation. And when I saw the shepherdess thing, I thought, okay, there's another way in which it seems a church is trying to raise the profile, raise the opportunities of sisters in the life of the church. And so I was curious to know more about that. So tell us about the shepherdess role and how you guys, how that functions in the life of your congregation. Yeah. So in the diaconate, you know, they they are charged with caring for the physical, material needs of the community and the neighborhood. 
that has always been a shared male-female role. So deacons and deaconesses, right? And they work as co-equals in that setting. But they are engaged in deed ministry, right? right? Hands and feet. Uh, what we were exploring was what does it look like to have women filling a word ministry role? So they're not deaconesses, mm -hmm. but they're also not elders. What does that look like? And lo and behold, there are many examples, both in scripture and in church history, of that very kind of function being filled by typically older women. So mm -hmm. whether if it's Titus 2, right, these injunctions, the, these encouragements for older women to minister to the younger women and stuff. And of course, older mm -hmm. is a relative term, right? Mm -hmm. It's age and mm -hmm. spiritual maturity and all the rest. But we also see it in 1 Timothy 5, where these widows, and, and there's some different, of course, layers of interpretation here, whether they are just widows being served or if they are widows that are being appointed to some role of service, or if the answer is both. Mm. Regardless, what we do know is there is a process of evaluating their qualifications. Yep. There is a public nature to this, and that they are then being esteemed in the community as mentors to younger women in the church. It's why even Calvin saw that as an order of widows. Mm. Uh, it wasn't church office, but it was a recognized public role and the Christian church has always had that, yeah. right? People, uh, women that are mentoring and discipling, even back in the ancient church that are walking with catechumens who are women, mm -hmm. culturally speaking, couldn't have some dude walking into the home mm -hmm. of a, you know, a, a, a new believer or mm -hmm. a person coming to faith. So you needed some options, right, in terms of ministering to women, especially in their homes and, and such. So um, we're just trying to be faithful to that tradition and to that that we find in Scripture, right? Mm -hmm. Churches have had this kind of role in many places, even to this day, but also historically. So whether if it's church mothers in the black church or in the Korean church, Kwonsanim, that so there's a there's a role that is has no English translation. And Korean Americans are always like, what is that? And it does it does it doesn't have an English translation. You don't find it in uh the typical polity of, of American churches, Western churches. Mm. And really what it is, it's uh, an unordained, esteemed public role that women are involved in, and they're distinguished from deacons and deaconesses, but they do important ministry of discipleship and leadership in the life of the church. And that's basically what we're trying to do. So they walk closely with the elders and pastors of our church. We have them in on the shepherding. It's been a wonderful sort of team setting where, especially when walking with married couples that need care, both uh, with the husband and the wife, mm -hmm. that we're able to send a team of people uh, to minister to each of them, a, a, a male elder and a female shepherdess, being able to care for them. They're in our congregation uh, called to focus especially on the needs of women, but aren't limited to that because sometimes you need a young man to go talk to an older sister, mm -hmm. right? And so they will minister to these brothers as well. And they're in on, uh, we ask for them to be advisors to the elders on major decisions of governance as well. And so we have them in these meetings that we call shepherding meetings. Uh, there is internally and across the life of the church, no confusion about these being sort of like incognito elders and that sort of thing. There's clarity on the ground, but we also felt like our church needs these trusted 
gifted sisters, wise sisters, to be in on some of the most important decisions that we make in the life of the church and in some of the hardest shepherding counseling cases in the life of the church. We would be less for it if we didn't have them in there. I feel that. I feel that. Uh, brother, you talking about church mothers. Yeah, you, you in our churches, you don't do nothing without the church mothers. That's right. <laughs> you, know, right? you have to have that counsel That's right. That's and that right. wisdom. Give me that Korean pronunciation again. Kwanzanim. Kwanzanim. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, if folk wanted to learn more about that, do you guys have like a white paper or something on your website or you have resources that you've used with your congregation for creating that kind of clarity that you're talking about? Yeah, we have a, a simple summary doc that we've used, you know, mainly just to give people the main bullet points of kind mm -hmm. of how we're thinking about it. But I actually am intending to write something a little bit more formal, a little bit more robust, uh, mostly for internal use, but something that I hope will be helpful for folks as far as putting together the historical, biblical grounds for this with a little bit more clarity. Uh, brother, if, if you would allow us, we'd love to, when you do that, distribute that in the Creek Collective, make that available in some way. Yeah, um, happy and, to. and I'd love to buy you dinner with my elders and, and you come talk with us about this yeah. uh, at, at length. <laughs> we talk about yeah. this at length, man, because yeah. I, it's we, important. Well, and, and you know that your point about those sticky pastoral situations, those tough ones that really do need a female perspective in it. Right. Uh, we have, we have had some of those, right. Yeah. And we have felt the poverty of our own wisdom without having a more regular, recognize yeah. conduit of, of input from our sisters to help shape our thinking in that way. And, so, and, and, and look, there, there are plenty of complementarian churches. I just used the yeah. C word there, right? Yeah. Churches that actually do make sure that there are women involved in sensitive sort of settings, right. but it's always done in an ad hoc, ad hoc. fashion yeah. versus it being built into the leadership structure of the church. And secondarily, a lot of these communities also say, well, the elders can just bring along their wives. Well, number one, what if their wives don't want to? That's right. And number two, can we say this? What if they ain't gifted to? That's right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, right. Just, that's, that's right. just the reality. That's not a, a knock on anyone in particular. It's just to say, what would it look like to have, even if it were a wife of an elder, to go through a process of examination and that to make sure that both in character as well as theological acumen, they're being screened and approved and then publicly recognized, which also then means they're accountable. That's right. Right? So that, That's right. again, this isn't just a formality. It's when this individual, this shepherdess, walks into the room to help you, you can then, as a member of the church, have confidence— yeah, that's what this is. It's pastoral confidence that they are being cared for by someone who's not just making it up on the fly. Mm. Again, because they're trained, they're accountable, they're examined, and they're trusted within the leadership team and in the life of the community. I think it makes all the difference in the world. And again, we're not just making this up. I think there's a lot of church history and biblical exegesis that undergirds this approach. Over the course of this podcast and this season, we'll hear from a lot of sisters, and um, we want to hear them talk to us about these things yeah. as well. But it's encouraging to know that there are pastors and churches out there uh, like yours, like ours, like like many others, yeah. that are committed to the, the flourishing of our sisters. And uh, may the Lord give us grace That's right. to see that flourish into the full. That's right. Duke, man, thank you for rocking with us, brother. We, oh, we're so man. glad for you, for your ministry, for your church, and that you would share with us uh, just so much wisdom and insight. Man, I'm grateful uh, to be yes, here. Man. Thank yeah. you, brother. Oh, Love man. you, man. Love you, too. 
I think it's really easy in the church today to villainize everyone who disagrees with you, to take people who might have a different view on the role of women in the church and to assign to them negative and nasty motive, to accuse them of not really taking the Bible seriously or twisting the scripture, to, I think it's really easy to simply cut ourselves off from them. But for our part at the Creek Collective, we want to sort of create a context where women flourish, where they thrive. We, we want our churches to be places where women thrive according to the scripture. And while we don't shrink back from honest discussions about the role of women and what the Bible says about that, we also don't have a culture war posture. We're not culture warriors trying to win an argument and lose our sisters. We, we are brothers trying to treat our sisters in absolute purity, with absolute purity, as Paul puts it in 1 Timothy. And we are brothers and sisters who see that we are equally made in the image of God and equally necessary to the mission of God. It's out of that equality, that common calling to make disciples in the world, that we want to come to the text and understand from the text how God may give shape to that for us as men and women. And we want to embrace what God says as best as we're able to understand it with great joy, knowing that ultimately it's God who best understands how we are to flourish. This conversation doesn't end it. It only begins it. And if we could begin in the right place with some lament and repentance, we might give ourselves a healthy chance to end in the right place, keeping in step with the spirit, with our minds more conformed to God's word, serving his church the way he says it should be served. May the Lord be pleased to do it.